0: Welcome to the Refuge Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Matthew Klein. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit myrefuge.ca. Here's the problem. Um, I'm, I'm not so much a one-verse preacher because the issue is in Scripture, you don't find truth. Really, unless you read it in context. So, you, you gotta. So many times I, I start reading, I'm like, oh, see, that verse is good. But if you read it alone, you miss the message because the preceding eight verses and the following five are what really contextualize that passage, you know, to give it meaning. Tonight, i, I we, we continue on in the series of being led by the Spirit. We've been spending a lot of time talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to jump back there in a couple weeks but and and tonight we're going to talk about it kind of um, but I want to focus on the mystery of the gospel so you'll see this word mystery occurs several times in the New Testament Paul talked about it a lot he always referred to the gospel as a mystery so the question is is what what is the mystery that he was talking about and um, and I've wondered that often reading it. I'm like, oh, he's always talking about this mystery of the gospel. And so, so what is it? And was Jesus the mystery, or or was there something else? Was there something? What's mysterious about? The telling or gospel telling and so what i'm going to show you is through scriptures we're going to move right back to the point of what we're talking about is a life being led by the spirit and i want to connect those two things so you can see what paul clearly believed the mystery was and how we can walk into the mystery okay but before we go there uh i've i've, I've told you i was going to do this so we'll, we'll do it quickly i'm not going to do a real thorough job Um, But I want to show you a little bit why um, it matters when we're talking about mystery. But the first thing I want to kind of show you is we're going to talk about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So if you want to get more in-depth in this, you can read about it in the book of Hebrews if you're taking notes. And I do encourage you to bring pen and and a little journal to take notes, because sometimes the information we go through is going to be heavy, and you need to do more reading at your home, because i got to go really quickly, and so sometimes you're going to miss the points. Or you can listen on the podcast if you prefer that. Um, So I want to talk about tabernacle. Hebrews gets into it and talks about it. So what we have to understand is that we are coming late to the game, and I I say this all the time, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews, and so so many of the practices that we do and have done in church is still a lot of Judaism that is trying to lord itself over us as Gentiles, and this is what the uh, apostles argued about even in the book of Acts, And, and it's really funny, I guess you could say. We, we discussed this in Bible study, how there was a big discussion because different people from the brethren in the book of Acts were moving into these Gentile cities and they were teaching these Gentiles that they had to get circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. So... They were saying you had to get circumcised in order to really be a, a real, for real Christian. And that wasn't the only thing that they were putting on them. They, they said you would have to get washings done. And they, they were pushing on them that and tithing and following the law. And, and so I'm going to talk about that more next week. But Paul didn't agree with this, and some of the other disciples didn't agree, and so they had the first church council in the book of Acts to argue about what was expected out of Gentile believers, like they, because they're coming out of Jewish faith, and it's so shocking even if I have time, we'll read Acts chapter 10 tonight, where Peter is for the first time going into a Gentile's home, which was a giant taboo, and he was going to preach the gospel of Jesus to them, which they thought they weren't even supposed to do. In fact, it requires a dream that Peter has, or a trance, uh, some translations will say, that that the Lord lowers this white blanket in this, in this trance and shows him all these unclean animals to a Jew. So there's serpents and crawling things things they weren't allowed to eat so it's like you know snakes and pigs and stuff like that so when peter says it the lord speaks to him and says peter take eat and he says no lord you you know i've never touched any of these things like I'm, i'm a good jew i don't i don't eat this and the lord said to him do not call unclean what i have already made clean like i've already made this clean don't call it unclean So Peter wakes up, he has no idea what this means. It's just like a weird dream, it's very troubling, and he's like, I guess I'm eating snake pie later to honor God, you know, with bacon or something. And so it must have been disturbing for him because he's like, I I don't like to eat snakes, uh, let alone look at them. So, um, So he's struggling with this idea of what this means, but while he's contemplating, there's a knock on the door, and a gentleman comes to the house and says, we've been praying for days that, that um, somebody would come and preach the gospel, and the Lord told us to come and get you. He said, go and get Simon, and he'll come. So Peter agrees, and he goes. And then he makes kind of a big to-do about it when he gets his house. He goes, as you know, I'm a good Jew, and I shouldn't even be in a Gentile's house, but the Lord gave me a dream, and now that I'm in your house, I know what the dream means. And the dream means you're unclean, and God's made you clean, and so I should be able to preach the gospel. So Peter has this great sermon prepared, and he's, he's rolling it out, and it's good. You can read the sermon in Acts 10. And as he's rolling out this message, uh, something uh, interrupts his message, and it's, you know, he's, he's got a good rhythm going, you know, he's making his points, people are getting excited, and then the Lord completely interrupts the entire message, because in the middle of his preaching, everybody gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the evidence, what was happening in early Acts, is they probably all started to burst into song, or started praying in tongues, and he was like, well, I'm not even done yet. And so they didn't know what to do. So they, they were like, well, what do we do? Like these Gentiles all of a sudden are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we didn't even think that was going to happen. We thought they'd hear the gospel. So there's a lot of confusion, and if you read between the lines in the early chapters of Acts, it's very confusing. The disciples do not know what's going on because they never dreamed that the Gentiles would be included in this message because they believed Jesus was their Messiah. And we miss that, we don't know that. But Jesus was their guy. Jesus was their leader. He was gonna change the world and, and get them free from the Romans. And lo and behold, Romans start speaking in tongues. Like soldiers are showing up. Soldiers are showing up. Maybe people that were even there at the cross. And all of a sudden, these soldiers and these Romans and these centurions are, are, are praying in tongues. And these Jews are like, uh, you're our enemy how is this going down? Like, this, 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 this is our gospel, right? This is our church. You have no business. And, and they're perplexed by it. So some of the Jews, and in fact, they're Pharisees. They, they're showing up again. They're, now they're Christian Pharisees, but the heart hasn't changed a whole bunch yet because the Christian Pharisees show up and they're like, okay, well, these Gentiles, they can have the Spirit, but they also need to get circumcised and they need to start tithing and they need to start doing all the Jewish stuff that we do. And so they start fighting about it because some of the disciples are like, no. And Paul's like, you know, he hasn't quite come on the scene yet. And so later at this first council, then Paul enters in. He's like, look, look, we've been preaching people getting saved. Like we shouldn't be requiring anything. So they have a big council and they tell the the believers or the brothers that are going to go back and preach to the Gentiles we only require actually a couple things out of gentiles so you have to understand this point they set aside all judaism and all practices of judaism okay so everything that we have in the old testament of laws and commands to do they completely eradicate it for the gentiles and they say the gentiles look this is what we think we think it's a really good idea if you're not all sleeping around and they say that that you don't become fornicators he's like so you know, minimize the sex with your wife, and other than that, like, keep it in your pants. So let, let's not do that. And second to that, we think that if you know stuff's been sacrificed to idols, don't be drinking the blood and eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And later, they even get rid of that one in another council. They decide, ah, you know, don't worry about it. If you don't know, you don't know. Just give thanks to God. It's no big deal. It's okay. So I want you to understand, because we miss this point, point. and again, I'm going to talk about it more next week, We miss this point because the entire faith, Christianity, is actually nothing like Judaism. Judaism is the shadow of what Christianity became. They're all shadows and types. But when Jesus comes, the kingdom of God comes and the real comes. These were shadows. See, because we see it in Hebrews where it says that in the Old Testament, they used to, they had all the men had to get circumcised, and they did it to babies on the eighth day. Interestingly, science now tells us that's when the blood uh, uh, cauterizes or uh, congeals. What's it called? Um, coagulates. coagulates, thank you. Uh, blood coagulates at its highest peak on the eighth day. And that's when God commanded to do it. Medical science, we now know that. So God was smart, and He said, do it that day. It'll stop the bleeding fastest. So they were supposed to circumcise themselves, but Hebrews makes it very clear that now because of Christ, there's a circumcision that happens in our heart, and we'll talk about that another time. It's to cut away the unnecessary that isn't there, the flesh part that kind of binds and restricts and keeps us hidden from from God so that our hearts are laid open and bare before him. I don't want to get too graphic, but there's lots of good symbolism on circumcision that we won't talk about. Okay, so So that's what God's doing. So you can see there's a transference from a physical thing that you do to a spiritual thing. So when we move from Judaism into Christianity, there are many things that go from being physical to things that become spiritual in nature. Because the whole existence of the Christian faith should be in a form of faith and belief and action that we take in the spirit, not things that we do outside. They aren't the physical things that we do. Now, without coming down too hard on Christian practices, because there is endless amount of Christian practices that we all perform, we know that right now, or some of you don't know, but we are in a season of Lent in the church where we prepare our hearts before Easter, and so people are supposed to give up stuff, like whatever you like. If you like watermelon, give it up, you know, whatever you like. And then you just put that aside so that you, it helps you to remember Jesus, right? And everybody does it, and some people go and they get ashes on their head because they're remembering. But all of these things are men's traditions. There, this, there's, there's nowhere in Scripture does it say that we practice these things. But they're ways to get us to be remembering God. But the thing is, is if you are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and you are abiding with Christ, you never forget Jesus He's an ever-walking presence with you. You are talking to him every day. Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Why am I giving up watermelon? (laughs) Right? I don't need to give up watermelon if the Spirit of God is always with me, always talking to me. We're always communing. We have a friendship. It'd be like Victoria and I have this good relationship, and I say, Honey, this month I'm going to really focus on you, so no nachos. She's like, well, what are we going to do when we watch a movie? I'm like, I don't know. You can eat them. I'm not because I'm just going to sit and I'm going to stare at you the whole time we're watching, movie. I'm just going to focus on. She'd say, well, that's kind of weird. We spend all our time together anyways. No need to give up the nachos. You might want to give them up for other reasons, but maybe not just to focus on me. Right? So there would be no need because there's already a relationship that's happening. But what religion does is we create form. We create external form when the life of the spirit should be happening inside between our heart and God's heart. It should be a communication that's happening here, not a form of exercise that we do outside. Do you understand? In the Old Testament, that we had to give 10%. It was required by law. And now, when we walk in faith, there isn't a law. You don't have to give 10% because God's not trying to get money out of you. What God's trying to get is you to increase your faith and to trust him. And so that number is elusive. You know, For you, it might be a real stretch of your faith to give 2% of your income, and so the Lord will start there with you, and then he'll always challenge you to just go a little bit more. Trust me a little bit more. You can trust me. I'm good for it. Give. It'll be given back to you. Don't worry about it. So when we transfer from law and we transfer for things like tithing, we move into the Spirit. Do you have a verse? Oh, you're distracting. Okay. I was thought you were trying to give me a hint. I'm like, am I did I miss something? That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. Like, suddenly read this. I can't see it that far, buddy. <laughs> so God wants to transfer us from the physical into the supernatural, that there is a transfer, and this is part of the mystery that he talks about. Okay. So before we get there though, I want to talk to you about a little bit about the temple or the tabernacle. So this is what they built out in the desert as a tent, and it was called the Tent of Meeting. And then later in Jerusalem, this becomes the tabernacle, of which doesn't exist anymore because we know it was destroyed in 70 AD, if you listen to our other series. Now all that's left is the western outer wall here. Yeah, west, I'm good. Never eat shredded wheat, that's how I always remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I drew it what, S, yeah. Oh, except I'm doing it wrong, I'm sorry. This is east, here. I'm I'm drawing it according to a, now I'm lost. This is west. <laughs> so how we, never eat, okay, so this is N. Okay, all right, that's why I'm never on a boat. Okay, I don't want to get lost out at sea, because I don't know anything about maps. Okay. So this is how the tabernacle was set up. And there's, there's all sorts of instrumentation and fine gold and woodwork and linen and scarlet and gold. and it's, it's like a really magnificent thing. So there's some important things in here. When you first walk in, this is the eastern gate here where you would enter. And interestingly, I'll show you this as kind of a point. It's really neat. This is where the tabernacle would be. And the smallest part of Israel, a certain group of tribes, God would get to meet when they were in the wilderness. They were to camp here on the west side of the tabernacle. And then the next two largest groups would camp here and here. And then the largest group of tribes of Israel would camp here And from a mountaintop, that's what it would look like. And that's how they traveled through the wilderness. And here was the temple, and here was the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah of glory of God dwell, right on a cross where the head of Jesus would be. Is it fascinating, eh? It's interesting, there's a story in the Old Testament where a prophet is um, asked by an invading army who hates Israel and wants to destroy Israel, to go and curse Israel, and he goes, well, I I can't do that. He goes, well, you have to. We're going to pay you tons of money, and if you don't, we're going to kill you, so we want you to come and curse Israel, so he would go, okay, so he got to this place, and he can see them all out there, and he begins to curse them, and as he begins to speak, he starts to prophesy and bless them and say that Israel's basically going to wipe out the people that have just hired him to, to do it. So, so the king, the invading king gets really mad and he's like, okay, okay, we're going to move up higher than the mountain. Maybe if you get a different vantage point and closer to God, you can give us a good word and give us victory. So as they ascended the mountain and this prophet would look down into the mountain, that's what he would have saw in the valley. And so he's literally trying to curse what is prophetically the cross of Jesus Christ, and he can't do it. He just keeps blessing Israel because he sees Jesus, right? This is really cool, free. Anyways, so here we go, and we're in the temple, or the tabernacle. The first thing that you would come upon is this thing called the lavier, or the lavier, And that is like a pool. It's like a bathing pool where you would there baptize yourself. You would wash yourself in water. And this is where they would perform their ceremonial cleansings. And the priests would do this. The priests were required to go in and cleanse themselves and clean off all the dirt off the flesh. So that they would cleanse themselves before God. They were literally preparing a way for the Lord to meet. This is exactly what John the Baptist is doing in the wilderness. He's preparing the way of the Lord. He's doing a Jewish ceremony. This is what the priests did. This is a very Jewish ceremony thing to wash yourself with water to make your flesh clean so you wouldn't be dirty before god now remember all of this is a symbol this is a symbol because there's a true tabernacle that exists in heaven there is a spiritual tabernacle this is a physical one that god had blueprints for given to them said i want you to do it exactly like this then after they would do this they would then go to the altar this is the lavier. this is the altar and here, this is where all the blood sacrifices would happen. And they would kill the goats or the bulls or sheep or doves or whatever. So it was like, just like epic bloodbath would happen here constantly. All right? But the priests had to cleanse themselves first. And then they would get blood off this. And then they would take some of that blood in bowls. And then they would go into another place here. So this would be the outer courts, okay? So this is the O.C., the outer courts. And this is the inner courts here, and this is called the Holy of Holies, all right? So in the outer courts, they would then move past it into here. And in here, we have different instruments. So we would have, I won't try to draw it perfectly, but we have something called a menorah, which is like those Jewish candlestick things you have. And then we have something else here called the table of showbread. So you would have a light stand in there because it was dark in there. And they, the Jews still have this today and it has seven, right? And it represents the seven spirits of God. And we'll talk about that another time. And then here you have a table of showbread. And there, there was this holy bread that they would eat. Now in the Gospel of John, we start to get a layout of this. Jesus talks about and answers all these things. He is the lamb who expiates or takes away, carries away the sins of the world. So he becomes a sacrifice. Jesus, now here, I'm going to walk you through it. Actually, I'll explain this first. So Jesus also says, we have scriptures, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he's referring to the fact that he is the menorah. He says, I am the bread of life. So he's saying, I am the bread that sits on this table. Now inside of the Holy of Holies, there's something here called the Ark of the Covenant and if you don't know what that is then you need to watch Indiana Jones and then you will know and never open it up it's bad if you do (laughs) you will melt like a candle so in there is the Holy of Holies and there's two cherubim it's all made out of gold now interestingly it's made out of wood first and the name of that wood is acacia wood or shittim wood and that's the only time you can say that in church And so you have a box made out of this wood. And that word actually means in Hebrew, incorruptible. So the Ark of the Covenant was made out of incorruptible wood, and then it was clothed in gold. This is Jesus, an incorruptible man clothed with the glory of God. It's a perfect picture of Jesus. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant, if you want this, all this is in the book of Hebrews. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was three things. There was the Ten Commandments, okay, And there was the manna, which Israel used to eat in the wilderness. And manna literally means, what is it? (laughs) It's a cool name. (laughs) So when they were walking around the wilderness, God made manna form on the ground so they didn't starve to death. It was like this bread of heaven came down to sustain them. Jesus is our bread of heaven. Um, In fact, he comes from Bethlehem. It's house of bread where Jesus was born. Bethlehem. It means house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He was the bread of manna that came down from heaven and the Jews looked at it and said, what is it? And God goes, what a great name. We'll call it that, manna. And so that was also in the Ark of the Covenant. And the last thing was Aaron's rod. And I won't go into big story, but it was a miraculous sign that Aaron's rod budded and produces almonds. And that's how they knew that he should be the high priest. And so then that became the Levitic priesthood or the priest of Levites. So all the tribes, I'll just tell you, all the tribes actually put in rods and Aaron's one budded overnight when it was in the ark of the covenant and produced fruit and as a result they became the fruitful priesthood okay so what's amazing is that inside the ark of the covenant is all these three things well this is jesus the law of god is written on his heart he is the bread of life that comes from heaven and he is a priest so all those things were a picture of jesus okay so again this is external moving into internal or spiritual. This is the transverse of this kingdom of God. So the priests would go in here. So, interesting, Jesus is born and the Magi see the star in the east, right? And that is how you come in to the tabernacles through the east. So Jesus's star rises and comes here from the east. The first thing in Jesus's ministry is he goes to see John to be baptized in the Jordan, John goes, I shouldn't even be baptizing you. I'm not even worthy to undo your sandals, let alone baptize you. And Jesus says, permit it now so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. So our high priest comes through the eastern gate, okay? And he comes and he is baptized by John. This is how we know the ceremonial cleansing is exactly what John is doing in the water. So our high priest has been baptized. Okay? Let me say it again. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, he's already been baptized in water. It's done. He did it, okay, because he had to. That's what John did. So, and he does this. Then he goes to the cross, right? Next, he becomes a sacrifice, and from that place, he goes into the courts, and now he's become the light of the world and the bread of life. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus gives up his spirit on the cross, what immediately happens in this place? Anybody know? It It rumbles and trembles, and then what happens? The veil tears in two. The veil tears in two. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but that veil was four feet thick of material. It was dense. Yeah, not the curtains you have in your bedroom. (laughs) It's fairly thick. And it tore in two from top to bottom. This is very high. I don't know how high, but like 14, 18 feet, something like that and immediately tears in two. When he gives up his spirit and says, Father, it's finished, he dies, and he commits his spirit, and immediately when he says that, this is torn in two. Why? Well, I think very powerfully, because at that point, the Shekinah glory of God that existed here, God's spirit immediately tore through that veil, ripped out, and went through here, up into the heavenlies. And that's why Jesus said, I must go, because when I go, then the spirit will come. So I want you to see that there's a massive axiom happening that we are moving from from the declaration of Jesus' birth, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into the holy of place for the ultimate culmination for the grand event. Because none of those things are the grand events. They are events that are leading to the grand event. And the grand event is is that God said, I want you to go, or Jesus said, wait for me in the upper room because my Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to fill you and it's going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and into Judea and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. They had to wait till they received power from on high. But our priest has been baptized. Hebrews says, when there is a change of priesthood, and there has been, The Levitical priests are no longer the priests. In the New Covenant, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. It's why he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And Hebrews says, never has the tribe of Judah served at the altar. Only Levites have. So we know there's been a transference of power because now Jesus reigns as the high priest. When there is inauguration of a new priest, there comes new laws. He then sets new law. Jesus already did this when he was on the earth. He said, I have summed up, I can sum up all the law and prophets in two things, love God and love each other. That's my law. I'm the new high priest, those are my laws. That's all you have to follow. And the way we do that is we abide with him. When you abide with him, you automatically start loving God and you automatically love people. You don't have to try to love people, you just hang out with love and it wears off on you, right? All right. Have have you ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm, I'm not a musician. I wish I was, but I'm not. And I don't really like like jazz. I've ne- I never really have, um, but I met this musician, and I worked with him for a while. He was a worship leader at church, and the guy was like a musical genius. Okay, and he and he was just like a hippie. He was he was total hippie. Like they used to like just go and live in the woods, like go hike, and and he'd just bring his guitar, and and he'd be amazing. He he he'd, he'd had this really old tube amplifier in his office, like the old ones. They had these little vacuum tubes on top. It's was like real purists. Listen to that. And he'd have a record player. And he had these really old like electric static speakers, like real vintage stuff. And he'd go, oh, I got to play a piece for you. So he'd, he'd put a record on or like a reel-to-reel, you know, he'd put that on. And, and I'd be like, okay. And I was like, I'm kind of a top 40 guy, right? So it's like way out of my genre. And so he'd be playing the music and he'd just be like, would be rocking back in his chair. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, and the drums, it's just like jazz music. And he'd be like, you know, he'd be listening. He'd go, oh, ah, it's a bit sharp on that G minor. He's like, ah, you know, he'd be listening. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, got to tighten that string up a little bit. And he, I'm like, you're a crazy person. He could listen that whole song. He could tell whose instruments were just ever so off. He's like, oh, but listen, roll in like that. And I started to like jazz because he loved it. Because I was just like, wow, it's like, he He would talk about it and explain it to me, and I was like, "Wow, this is fascinating because and he could transpose music and just like start courting stuff. And I had a similar experience. One time I was I, I went fishing, guy asked me to go fishing. i've I've never been fishing except my dad used to take as we fish in the river, and I hate river fishing, because it constantly feels like you got a fish on the hook, you're like, oh, it's rocks, and oh, it's weeds, and, and it's because it's always tugging, right, because right? I hate, it's like horrible, and then you just get a stinky trout, and I don't like that anyway, so there's no reward in the end, so he was like, let's go fishing, so we go down um, to uh, Little Bow, uh, down in southern Alberta a little bit, and um, and so we go out on this boat, and it's a beautiful Lund boat. Well, I'd never been on a fishing boat, but it's quite an experience because the deck is flat, and you sit up on a chair that spins around, and the whole top is flat, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And so he picks us up early in the morning. We get our Tim Hortons coffee, and we drive. I, I forget. It's like an hour and a half or two hours. And, and the entire time, from the time he picks us up till we get on the boat, he talked about fishing nonstop. I'm like, what is there to know about fishing? There's fish, there's a rod, you catch them, you eat them, that's it. That's all there. But he had, like, endless things to talk about with fishing. He's talking about their mating season and where we're going to go in the water because the temperature of the water matters, and pike go after walleye, and so they sit in schools and on the legs and of the river, and they fly, and they and so they so he's, he's talking about, you know, and when they're having babies, and all this information, it was just, like, nonstop. But he, he used to have, like, his own fishing show on TV with a couple guys. And he, like, fished with all these pros. And I, I never like fishing. I'm like, okay, I, I get to eat spits and sit out there and get a tan. How bad could it be? You know, we'll, we'll be out there. So, so me and my buddy went with him, and we, fa- we fished, like, all day. And he says, you know, we, we have a limit. Like, we can only catch, like, three 28-inch fish each and then that's it it's okay i've never caught a fish ever so it's not a concern but your limit (laughs) you know it's like it's three each and he goes oh yeah no we'll we'll hit that and i'm like okay so we go there and like we're out and we're kind of back trolling and he's and he talks to us all day about fishing and then all the way home about fishing and he never told the same thing twice. I just couldn't get over the vast amount of information about fishing. And it humbled me. I was like, wow, you got to... I, I, I can never fish alone now. I don't know anything. And this guy is like a master fisher guy. So anyways, we're out there, and we constantly have all three lines out, and we are catching fish all at the same time. He's like running around trying to help us. I'm like, I think I caught one. I don't know. No, and sure enough, we're pulling like... 28 inch fish out of the water just non-stop like we're throwing little ones back that are like 26 he's like measuring them nope it's only 27 i'm like ah it's never gonna happen again he's like it's okay we'll catch more and we just we cat we caught 60 fish that day i went home immediately and went to the closest store i could find and i started dropping bitcoin on fishing rods and reels I I just love fishing. I was like, I started looking at fishing boats. I wanted to get fishing magazines. I was like, that is the best experience I've ever had in my life. We caught 60 fish and then his wife cooked them and we ate them. And if you haven't had walleye before, oh, there is no fish like walleye. He was like cutting out their cheeks. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, are you sick? And he's like, no, they're the best. So where he comes from in Manitoba, they like sell them by the bucket, like fish cheeks, and you eat them, and they deep fry them, and oh, it's special. Anyway, so she I'm getting the way off talking about that. But she's cooking this all up and we're eating now. We just have a fish feast, and it was one of the best days of my life. So I bought all the rods and reels, and I've never been again. But in that moment, I love fishing. But I love fishing because he Loves fishing. He loves fishing, so I love fishing. Because how can you be with a guy all day who loves fishing and not like fishing? Especially if you get fishing results. And the same guy with the music. I, I didn't know I liked jazz until he kind of explained it to me, and I I started to see jazz as a miracle in motion. Like these top end musicians hear a rhythm that we don't hear. But the more you start listening to it, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I think I'm getting it. You know. But it's when you hang out with those people. And so god is like that when you hang out with him when you hang out with the presence of god when you hang out with the spirit lo and behold you just start to become spiritual because you're spending time in that presence right but it requires that and you get a feel for it people that don't do it don't get it people that don't listen to jazz don't get jazz people who don't hang out with fishing people don't get fishing because you got to be in that presence so you start to get it okay so here's the this is the tabernacle so David picks this up in Psalms, and so when we do a series on worship, we'll talk about this more. David says, I enter in your gates, the eastern gate he's talking about, with thanksgiving in my heart, and I enter into your courts, both inner and outer courts, with praise. So the reason we worship as a church is not because I don't think I can preach for two hours. (laughs) As you know I can't right that's not why and we don't we don't sing songs because singing. and we've had people go i i I just don't really enjoy the singing part and i'm like right because you don't know what it is right it's like jazz you don't get it this isn't the singing part this is the part that david says i enter your gates with thanksgiving in my heart and i enter your courts with praise and i sing a new song unto the lord with symbols and dancing and clapping. There's spiritual reasons that we clap. Clapping is a form of spiritual warfare, the Old Testament says. Lifting our hands is one of the expressions in the Hebrew words for worship, one of them. It means to lift your hands, right? Because it's an act of humility. We lift our hands. God, I need you. I'm helpless without you. I can't do this without you. I need you, Lord, I need you. And, and that's part of that expression, to do that, right? an act of humility so we'll get into that when we do a series on worship so this is david giving us beginning directions of how we move forward into the holy of holies if you want to have intimate experiences with the lord you want to feel his presence that is the way to do it you start off by coming into god's presence by giving him thanks and then you begin to praise him in worship and in song as you move into praying in the spirit and then you will find him and again we'll talk about that another time all right So let us look here first at, where do I want to be? We'll go to Colossians 1. Ryan, you can kick that up. Colossians 1, we'll start at verse 13. Yay, I have it up. I literally have 70 verses up tonight, and I I was going to try, but we're not going to get there, so we'll just, we'll do a few. So let me dive into Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. So I'm going to rip through it first, and then we'll talk about it. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I like this word better. In the Greek, it allows for transferred or the word transpose. And transpose means to change places, to interchange or switch, to swap, to flip. It means to transfer to a different place or context. It's a shift, a transplant, or a move. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transposed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So what I want you to understand is that this mystery, this thing that we're talking about, is how do we go from being just in this realm and being a son and daughter of Adam because we are part of the Adamic race, Jesus is called the second Adam. So how do we move from this physical earthly kingdom where we have a lot of earthly rituals, even in our religion, even in our Christian religions, we do a lot of physical, redundant, powerless, traditional things. They have no power in them. We just do them. Why? Because my grandpa did them. My grandpa did him because his grandpa did him, and his grandpa did it because his grandpa did it and his grandpa did it because he doesn't remember, right? And we just did it. We just did it that way. Ryan, what were you telling me that story about the ham, the way you cook a ham? Who, or was a turkey? And, and, and we cut off the ends or something and so people were like always cutting off the ends to their ham to stick it in their, in their oven to cook. And so somebody asked one day, well, why do we do that? I, mean, I don't know. My grandma did it. Ask grandma, why'd you do it? Well, I don't know, my mother did it. Why'd she do it? Well, she because she never had a pot big enough. <laughs> and here it'd become a tradition to cut off the ends. And, and now we have big pots and there was no need to do it, but we're just still doing it because we always did it that way. And we're like that as people, right? We get in a rut and we do things the way we do them. But, but in this new in this new way of walking with God and in the Spirit, we need to do things in a spiritual plane rather than doing Things in the physical that don't make any sense and don't have any power to them. Let's focus on what has power to transform people's life instead of redundant tradition that does nothing. So let's look at this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, it's weird, right? Because it's talking about Jesus. Is Jesus the firstborn of all creation? Is he? Your mind should be going, well, not really, but I think the answer is yes, he is. Who's the firstborn of all creation? Adam. Well, actually, the animals are first, right? But we think, naturally, Adam. But there's something else going on. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, on the earth, is the image of God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him all things he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is also the head of the body the church and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, how many things? All All things to himself. So how many things is God not reconciling him to himself? Nothing. Nothing. Which group doesn't get reconciled to God? What's that group? I missed it. Oh, the group that's not on earth and not in the heavens and not in the unseen or the what would that that would be a weird group. I don't know where that group is. All things. And I looked it up in the Greek and all means all. <laughs> no for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness of who he was, of all that the father god was to dwell in Jesus. And I know I say it all the time you guys. But you've got to really imagine that God poured everything that was in his heart, all that he was, into Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up at a sinner's party where they're all getting drunk and carrying on, God's sitting right in the middle of it going, I love these guys. They're crazy. They're crazy when they're drunk. I made the concoction way too high for the (laughs) ferment of the wine next time. (laughs) But he just hung out with them. He's like, I love these people. And they all come drunk. We run out of wine. He's like, bring me some water. And he brings it. And they're like, oh, this is even better. He's like, yeah, that's how I roll. He gives drunk people better wine. They say right in the scripture, no, that's when you bring out the cheap stuff. You know? You don't bring, you know, you don't bring out the real nice wine when everybody's already loaded. That's not when you bring it out. Right, you don't bring out little penguin, or sorry, that's when you bring out your little yeah. penguin. That's right, you know. So if you've ever had, if you've ever had a a good bottle, like I've had some stuff called Christopher's red wine. It was on sale one time, and and I think it was like seventy four dollars. And I was standing there going, oh, that is huge money on wine. But I'd only drank you know the twelve dollar wines. And I always want to know. I'm like, why would anyone spend money like that on wine? I'm like. I'm going to do it. I I just want to know. I want to know if $70 wine actually tastes better, you know, and I wish I would have never done that (laughs) because I had that first glass. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm ruined forever. Everything else tastes like garbage now, but it really tastes that much better. It's really amazing, and so Jesus brings the best stuff out when they didn't need it because that's the kind of God he is, more than enough. He's extravagant. That's who he is. He goes you need this much? He he does this much. He's generous. He's kind. He goes beyond what is required. But religion makes God small. Less than. Just enough. Bare minimum. But the spirit is bigger. It wants to do more. And your life can be so much more. It can be supernatural with him. I didn't watch my, wear my watch tonight, so I have as long as I want. No. I'm I'm watching. Okay. Um... Yeah, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Wow. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever wake up in the morning and go, I'm beyond reproach? Me? Totally blameless. In fact, I would err on the side of holy. Do any of you, do any of you think of yourself that way? Do any of you wake up ever thinking, I'm holy. (laughs) Huh? Do you? No. No. See, and listen, listen, I know because I, I know I'm being a bit funny, but the fact is it's sad that it's funny. I can tell you how far it is from our consciousness that it elicits humor. Because you're like, whatever, God's holy. Beyond reproach, he calls us. Holy. Without blemish. Imagine if you could just start believing that about yourself. Instead of how have I disappointed God? How have I let God down? Oh, I've been thinking dirty thoughts this week, and so therefore I'm not holy. No, nope. God sees you as holy. Holy and unfinished. But he's working, he's writing your story, he's completing you. And and if you could just wake up every day and go, hey, I, I know I got some junk in the closet, but but God already knew I was a hoarder. And he's got a whole cleaning crew and a whole restoration company, and he's got trucks pulling up full of furniture full of new appliances, master painters, craftsmen. So it's not a problem. It's not a problem. You know, when people go to help hoarders, it's not like they walk and go, oh my goodness, you're a (laughs) hoarder. Right? Oh, well, I'm sorry. You just piled up way too much stuff. We're out. No, they've got TV shows on this, right? And what do they do? They go and help the hoarder. They don't go, you schmuck, what are you? What's wrong with you? We found this. I, I watched one. It's horrible. I watched one, and they lifted out a flattened, dead cat, as stiff as a board. It was like a two-dimensional drawing of a cat because it had been flattened under the garbage and died. Yeah, dead cat. I mean, this is so much garbage. <laughs> like a dead cat was was sad and disturbing and kind of humorous at the same time. <laughs> Poor cat. You know, but but they just went, hmm, okay, and they just they didn't go up to the woman and yell at her and what's your problem? It's like, look, this person's so broken, you don't need to point out the dead cat. She already knows she's a mess. Right? And this is what the problem with church has been. It's like the pastor's up yelling at everybody about their dead cats. It's like, I got other problems. You see my house? I don't care about the cat. I'm getting crushed under garbage. I've got a problem. I know the problem is I got too much garbage in my house. I don't know how to get rid of it because I'm attached to all of it. I can't let it go right? Do you think that the person in that house needs a good message on how to clean the house? Do you think they don't know what cleaning is? Haven't you ever seen it? Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. Don't you watch commercials? No, I can't see it. My TV's buried under garbage. You know, they don't need to be told that they hoard garbage. They know. Sinners don't need to know they're sinners. They know. Sinners need to know they've been reconciled by God and they've been declared holy and righteous. They live different. So although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, he's now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not move away from the hope of the gospel you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which Paul I was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. Do I need to read this stewardship beyond? No, I don't. I'll skip down to verse 26. Verse 26. Right before it says, I might, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's go quickly to Acts 10, 44. Might have to read a few. You got it, Ryan? Okay, I'll read another one while you're getting that up. Um, Yeah, Acts 10, 44. Romans 16, 25 to 26 says, Now to him, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Okay, And then I'm going to go I'll, OK, now nah, I'll do that in a minute. And then 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 to 15. Yeah, I can go to 1 Corinthians and catch up. Sorry. First Corinthians chapter two verses 4 to 15. Listen to what Paul's saying. Now Paul, Paul's a real smart guy. He's trained in a million ways. He knows the law. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. But listen to what he says. He says, And my message and my preaching were not in in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul goes, Look, I didn't come to you to convince you of something through words, but I came showing you the power that's in God's Spirit, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, let me ask you this question. How many churches do you think in North America are relying on that verse? Would you argue that the majority of the churches are relying on human wisdom and understanding and really have nothing to do with the moving and the power of the Spirit of God? Huh? Because if it were, they'd all be full. And if they were, the whole world would be different. But we have made rules and religion and ceremonies and procedures, and we try to be eloquent, and we use PowerPoint to try to be fancy. And if that's not enough, then we try to serve really good coffee and spend tons of money on food to get people to come, whatever your motivation is. (laughs) Okay, so listen to what Paul's saying. He goes, but I didn't come. I'm a smart guy. I'm trained really well, but I didn't come with you with that. I left that all behind. He said, in fact, I consider that all dung. to know Christ and Him crucified because this is power. The gospel has to have power or it's not the gospel. Hear me. If a church is not operating in the power of God and you don't feel the Holy Spirit, then that church isn't preaching the gospel because if it was, you would feel something. If it was, it would change you. If it was, it would impact you because the gospel doesn't return void. It doesn't return void. It hits you and it does something. Yet we do speak wisdom amongst those who are mature. See, here the difference. You guys are getting some teaching because you're already considered being mature. You've already been filled with the Holy Spirit, so now you can actually receive some teaching. However, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. That word again. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. For if they had understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. We'll skip down verse 10. For to us God revealed them through how? Through the Spirit. So if you want to know how you're going to understand the deep wisdom of God, there's only one way it's through the Spirit. It isn't going to be at a great conference unless that great conference is being led and taught by people who have already been in the Spirit, who have learned to access the great wisdom. The best revelations that God have ever given me is from me praying in the Spirit. I just pray in the Spirit, and the Lord just goes <laughs> and shows me something, and I go, "Oh wow, that's amazing." And I've had other pastors ask me, "How do you know that? Where'd you read that?" I'm like, "I, I don't know." What were you doing? I was like, I was going, that's what I was doing. What was that? Oh, it's okay. You don't understand. What were you doing again? You were speaking in a weird language? Yeah. Where? My basement was cold. (laughs) And then you just got that? Yeah. That's weird. You didn't read in a book? No. Books are long got to read a whole book to get one idea. I even pray for 15 minutes and get 10. It's a little bit faster. I, I want to spend my time ministering to people, not reading tons of books. I'll read your articles. You've got a blog, I'll read it, because your wisdom should come out right away. If not, I'm wasting my time. I've read like seven chapters in a book and went, oh, what a waste. That's his point? That was it? Sorry, I'll wrap it up. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men know the thoughts of God, or the thoughts of a man, except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God, and that Spirit is in you. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised but he who, is spirit, he who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Let me say this again. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Here's the problem. The Bible is a spiritual book, and we've got tons of unspiritual people that mount the pulpits of our nation that have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they try to address the things in God's Word, but they can't possibly understand them. They can't possibly understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Why do you think Jesus only talked in parables and people didn't have a clue what he was saying? He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. He's like, well, what do you mean? You have to be born again, Nemus, or you'll never see the things of the Spirit in the kingdom. He goes, so... supposed to crawl up my mom's womb again jesus goes wow wow dude i was not going there i didn't i didn't see that coming that was weird you you made it awkward he's like you're a teacher of israel and you don't understand these things you see because he he didn't have the spirit so he he was trying to understand things here and so they sounded nicodemus in that situation thought jesus sounded like a fool But Jesus is like, buddy, there's a whole realm you don't know anything about, and you're talking about climbing up a womb. You're not, you, whoa, you don't get it. And so this transposing, this transference is this mystery. The mystery is that God would impart his spirit, not just to Jews, but Gentiles also, and that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in a heavenly language so that we could then be transposed from this realm and tap into a supernatural realm to be born again. And it happens through Jesus. And as we believe in Jesus, we walk through that doorway into kingdom things when we get baptized into his spirit so that we can start seeing and understanding and hearing and comprehending spiritual things. And it is that power that can change the world. When you have spiritual words to speak to people, not just, oh, that's too bad. Sorry, you're going through that. That must be tough. Hmm. That's sad. Sorry. I'm not saying not to be empathetic, but everyone says that. You need something different, something new, something alive, something fresh, something powerful, not just a scripture verse, not just a Christian pat answer. And for your own problems and your own struggles, you don't just need a verse, you need something supernatural. You need God to meet you. This week I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I really need you to speak to me. I'm 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 wrestling through some stuff and I I need some confirmation because I feel like you're asking me to do something, but I don't know if it's a wild goose chase. And I need you to meet me because I just there's a blockade and I'm missing something and I, I think you're saying something, but I, you know, if, if you've ever seen Mad Max, I felt like I was sitting in the car yelling, testify, witness me. <laughs> I was yelling, witness me. I need someone to witness that what I feel the Lord's saying is true so this gentleman that I that I know I've come to know through Brad and he's he's a spirit-filled man and he gets prophetic words all of a sudden so I, I was praying this Wednesday so Friday I get an email from him hey Matt like he's never emailed me hey Matt I was praying and the Lord dropped you front and center of my mind on Wednesday Wednesday is when I was praying Lord I really need someone to talk to me he goes I wrestled with it for a couple days so that's why I'm telling you Friday and he said, but the Lord showing me there's some kind of block that you're going through and you kind of need some breakthrough and just please contact me if this, is, if this is witnessing to you at all and let's talk through it. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Right? I didn't need a Bible commentary. Huh? I didn't need that. I didn't need some communion. I didn't need that. I needed somebody who walks in the Spirit to have a Spirit revelation, to have a word of knowledge that I needed some help. I threw out a call for help. I put on my Batman signal, and I said, actually, I need some help. And he came and we talked and he helped me work through it. We found out the source. I prayed through it. I didn't realize there was a root of fear on something. And so he helped me work through that and we prayed through it and we saw the Lord do something immediately within hours after doing that. We got breakthrough. Because that is this life that we're living, that I'm pulling you guys into to draw you in, to start to live and walk a spirit-led life. Because I'll tell you what, you guys, it's so exciting. Life goes from boring and just trying to be good to going, wow, I'm meant to conquer things and overcome things and get rid of fear and anxiety and depression and walk in the joy of the Spirit and full of strength and have spiritual authority. So I meet people that are depressed and I go, not anymore, not on my watch. The Holy Spirit's gonna deliver you right now in the name of Jesus. And God gives you a, a word of wisdom to that person and says, I just Lord gave me a picture that when you were a child, your father used to just abuse you verbally over and over again, and you've believed those lies about yourself, and God wants to break those lies over you right now in the name of Jesus. He won and this didn't happen. Sorry, there's no connection here. Yeah, <laughs> Brett's like, oh boy, just pull out my garbage in front of everyone. And I was like, <laughs> No, not an abusive bone in his body. Anyway, so this isn't a prophetic word. So, uh, you know, and then you start speaking that, right? Last uh, Honest, last story. I remember I was in, in uh, Bible school in Dallas, and I was walking through the university where we would go in and, and just share the gospel with people. And I walked up to this young guy and his hand's full of books. And I said, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? He's like, yeah, Sure. I said, we're just on campus and we're just talking to people about the Lord and stuff. He's like, okay. I said, the Lord, I feel, just wants to say something to you. He's like, oh, what? Now, I want you to hear the difference. I didn't say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you need to accept him or you go to hell. Right? Like, that, I'm not sharing him the gospel. Okay? Because it's not what he needed. He needed a living, active, powerful gospel. Amen. One of truth. So I said to him, I said, I think the Lord wants to say something to you. He goes, okay. I said, God wants you to know that he would never treat you the way your father treated you. He just dropped his books. He's just sobbing. How could you know that? How could you know that? I said, I just know. Just the Lord wants you to know. I'm just as shocked as you. (laughs) I said, can I pray with you? Yeah, sure. Do you think that changes life? Do you think he knew that God knew him and recognized him? More than 10,000 scripture verses I could give him. Right? More than a hundred altar calls, more than 1,000 songs? A simple word, a simple word. said, "God has you on his radar, and He knows you intimately and personally, and we should all be walking in that. That should be normal Christianity. But we're scared, right? We're terrified of that because we haven't experienced it. But God wants to draw you in because that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen overnight. But as you walk in it, you get to know it and the Lord starts to show you things and you just know things and you're like, oh, wow, that happened. I knew that was going to happen. How did I know it was going to happen? Or just say, go to the mall. Go to the mall right now. I want you to go there. So you drive over. I don't know what I'm doing, but you just trust the Lord. You have to be willing to be a bit foolish. You just show up. And just go get a coffee there and sit down. There right, you go. All of a sudden, someone comes up, you know, hey, how are you doing? Haven't seen you for long. Oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to talk to you. I don't know. Because you just go with it, you know? And then you begin to share, and the person's going through a struggle, and you begin to encourage them and build them up, right? They're like, wow, it's so weird running into you. You're like, yeah, I know. I was, I'm trying out this walking in the spirit thing. It's pretty weird. <laughs> pretty yeah. awesome. I said to my parents jokingly one day, we accidentally both ended up at an ice cream shop one summer. And I said to them, they're like, oh, you're here I said yeah because I'm walking in the spirit I don't know how you got here I said (laughs) (laughs) anyways let's close tons more scripture to go through next week we'll talk more about the mystery and then I'll get into some other things was it good you guys feel good tonight okay it's exciting hey you feel you feel God's doing something this feels good hey yeah it's good okay Jesus thank you Praise be to your name and to you, Father. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have one for another, that you have invited us into your relationship. You've adopted us as sons and daughters into this family of God. And you are gracious and patient with us as we are learning to walk in your spirit, that we are discovering this mystery of spirit walking because we, we don't know, and we make mistakes, and we fumble around, but you're just so excited that we're trying to walk. Thank you, Jesus. Bless these, your people. Amen. Because when you have kids, don't you get excited when they start walking? Isn't it fun when they walk, and, they, and even they stumble and fall, and you're like, oh, you're so cute, you're walking. You don't go, bad, bad. Walk properly. Right? Why? Why don't you scold them? Because you know they'll just figure it out. The more they walk, the better they get at walking. So you just encourage them, right? That's what the Lord wants to do. Amen. Have a good night. Thank you for listening in to The Refuge. For more information or podcasts, please visit myrefuge.ca.